Welcome to another episode of Cultivating with Quayera, coming to you from the hills of Kingston in Jamaica. Special on location treat. However, I have someone coming to us all the way from Trinidad, and that is Rondell Benjamin, a dear friend of mine, better known as Benji. Today, Benji will be talking with us and sharing and enlightening and hopefully illuminating some areas and aspects of Kalinda. I was working with a former student in Trinidad, Makita Thomas, and she had a colleague that was on the board of Benji's organization. He was interested in looking at leadership aspects in organizational development aspects that originate in Africa. And since that's something that I am not only passionate about, that is something I've studied deeply. Once we connected, we started talking about the Congo and Angola and the Bantu culture. I had the pleasure of studying under, and I say that with total admiration and respect, Baba Bonseki Fukia. Many years ago, Benji and I talked about Mbongi, we talked about Kalinda, which I had actually never heard about. He schooled me on what Kalinda is, what it can become, and how it connects to the development of a people in Trinidad. So Benji, no further ado, welcome, thank you. Morning, morning, a real blessed Trinidadian morning, sending good vibes, energy, like son, how are you doing? I'm well, I'm well. You know, I'm going to go right in and just say how grateful I am that you are taking the time out of your day to create a heightened awareness, I think, for a lot of people. Because I even know people from Trinidad, right? And they're musicians and they know the songs about Kalinda. But a lot of people really don't understand the depths of Kalinda. So first, I want you to tell me, before we get into Kalinda, who is Benji? I guess Benji is really the product of our diaspora. I spent maybe seven years living in the U.S. among the Afro diaspora there. Came back home, spent the formative years of what you would call high schooling here. Then I left, spent maybe 15 years living in Venezuela and Mexico. Spent some time in Europe as well. So what that has done for me, I suspect, is given me a unique view of the diaspora. I've found often those who have been outside and who have returned are able to access things in our space that sometimes those in the space themselves, for different reasons, can't access. The unique thing about me is I think in many ways I was built to be exactly who I am. The first word I ever said was fighting. You know, I was walking at 10 months. The family joke is when adults were in the room, sit down. As soon as the adults walked out, get up and be very coordinated and fighting. And as soon as adults walk in, I'd pretend I couldn't walk. Oh, are you so, serious? Dead serious. They didn't know I could walk until maybe I was 12 months. And then I just took off running one day. My older sister was like, yeah, but mommy, he could walk. He's been walking for a long time. And she's like, how come nobody knew he could walk? So that's interesting. So you're talking about fighting. That took you into martial arts? Every kick-up, every kung fu movie, there's pictures of me four and five years old with a stick in my hand and a little sailor hat on. I have only had one dream, to be a combat master, to be the greatest, wisest, you know, that guy in the Chinese movies with the long white beard. Literally, that's all I ever wanted to be in my whole life. And it's frightening now to feel the realization of that dream 
and that that dream didn't come from me, that I am a product of hundreds of years of warrior energy that's been passed very specifically through my bloodline. In Trinidad, I'm what you would call American. American is a, a very unique group of, not Maroons, but they were West Indian regiment soldiers who fought in the U.S. Civil War. Hmm. There's a very famous verse in the Star Spangled Banner that they don't sing anymore about these hated group of slaves that fought against the Americans. Those were my ancestors. So when Kaepernick kneels, he's not kneeling for a random thing to me. Yeah. I know who he's kneeling for, and I know that we're still alive. And as soon as the Americans' independence, they made it very clear that this group of warriors, these six regiments of guerrilla fighters, who fought for their freedom, were not welcome in America. Mm-hmm. So they sent them to Canada. Canada didn't want them. They tried to send them to Liberia. Africa said, no, no, not these. They learned to fight against Europeans and they were winning. We don't want them. And so they sent them to Trinidad in this remote part of our country, which is as close as possible to cockpit country as you would find in Trinidad. Very hilly, full of snakes, uninhabitable, a difficult place to be. And the Americans were so organized that they renegotiated the terms of their settlement. And it's actually in the physical geography of the space. So there's a space called Hard Bargain. Then there's another space next to it called New Grant, which was they did not accept the hard bargain that they were given, the rocky soil full of snakes. Right, right. They had to give them even more land. And this was in the 1818s. So my grandfather and the men of that generation, you know, if you tell them something like, you know, black power, they would be remember that we weren't slaves. We were never held. We were never subjugated. I mean, it's not quite the story, but there's this whole spirit among the Americans in Trinidad. And they're called Americans because they were Americans. Their connection is so deep that the Gullah Geechee Queen still comes to Trinidad every two years because they were Gullah people. You and I know Gullah is Angola. That's right. Low country, Carolina. So that's in my blood. That's my grandfather's family. My grandmother's family were Thompsons from Jamaica who were renowned stick lickers or stick fighters in the Jamaican tradition. Literally, if I tell a Barbadian stick fighter my family's last name, the eyebrow goes up and they lean back, you know, like you come from a game breed. So both sides of my family met. I was for my whole life just imbued with this energy, this love for combat. And all I really wanted to do is whack people with sticks in their head. That was my intention. Kalinda opened itself to me in a way. She allowed me to develop. Right now, we do a lot of work with gender-based violence, uh, at-risk youth, cultural rejuvenation. We have a segment of our community that is entering the academy and sharing the research we have, as well as more and more research. We formed something called the African Diaspora Stick Fighting Association. We have stick fighters from Colombia all the way to Cuba, you know? I'm hearing it was spiritually in you, this combat thing. It wasn't that it was necessarily learned at such an early age and this desire. In the Bantu tradition, right, the first teacher of the child is the mother, the first warrior teacher. Right. Children learn to fight from their mother. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. My mother taught me to fight. I remember I was from America and I came back to Trinidad and I was six years old and I was being bullied in school, right? And I went to her, you know, with my little American accent and said, you know, they're calling me Yankee pig. They're calling me piggy, piggy, piggy. And she said, I have something for you. This is how we're going to do this run. You're going to find the biggest one of the gang. 
You're going to run up and kick him in his shin and then you're going to run. You're going to run for the next hour till he's tired. Then when he gets tired, you're going to run and kick him again. You're going to do this for three weeks. Your mother. My mother. She said, by the third week, the principal will call me in and said, you will continue for one additional week. You will set the tone from this point forth. They will understand that they may start, but you will never stop. They may be bigger, but you will never quit. She says, Rondell, you have to break their mind. You're kidding me. Stick fighter or from a stick fighting family. Her mother was the, the Bajan woman who, when she found out my grandfather was in Trinidad, uh -huh. running a garden, because the Bajans came into Trinidad during the schedule of population, to anglicize the island, because Trinidad was a francophone space. Right. So they brought in teachers and police officers from Barbados. So the Bajan men were here. My grandmother, the Thompson woman, found out that he was here with women. She got on a steamer, never said a word, walked through his plantation, beat the women, because he had two women. She beat the two women, <laughs> beat him, carried him to the house, and she came with a child. She said, this is your first child, and the second one on the way. From this point forth, I shall handle the money. So I come from deep, matrifocal, original Caribbean, Dandada. I come from that blood. So my mother was a real G. Mommy came on a steamer. What? Granny came on the steamer. And you see, there's a problem in the Caribbean. We have a matrifocal society. Yeah. That is layered by a patriarchal European veneer. Yes. But yes. the underbelly of our communities are full of these queen mothers. My grandmother ran it, everything. Like I had an aunt, when I walked to the market in Tunapuna, my aunt used to sell in the market. It would be, oh, look, coach, your children, <laughs> right? And there's a little space forming around you. Because everybody know, if you mess with these people, they're coming, right? And not in a violent way, but it's just extreme agency, extreme confidence from the stick licking and Kalinda clans. You would hear the term used in our literature, which call them secret societies or lacus or convois. In the Cuban Abequa tradition, there yes. is still called in Cuba Kalinda secret societies. Okay. All the islands coming down, they are termed secret societies of fraternal orders of warriors. And this is from the 1500s. So one of the monikers I have on Facebook is Guile of the Mind, Haiti's Unbroken. Because that's who we are. There's a segment of our population that was never colonized. I am from that set. There's zero attendance to colonial thought in the spaces I came up in. And I didn't know it was unique because to me, when I talk to all my friends, their grannies ran it too. I'm always confused when Caribbean men struggle with feminism. I'm like, dude, you had a grandmother, right? They'll always raise their eyebrow. Yeah, granny was for real. Okay. So then what are we talking about? Our women have always worked, always worked. So this thing about women working, and I don't even know what that That's is in the Caribbean. That's not our journey. That's not, not our, our journey. journey. They got kind of confused somewhere along. Not that they went out there and they worked and they left their children. It was a community. That paradigm, 
we're struggling with it as a people. That don't work for us. That whole woman's lip thing, that movement no. was not our movement. And I go in there. Yes, I am. And people don't like when I go there. But we have a different movement. <laughs> and our movement is old. There's a professor I have, and she said something. She says, we are from the Antilles. And the key phrase is anti. We are from before. We have led the way. You know, people talk about revolution. The word revolution meant a wheel turning until Haiti. Then it meant turn up, <laughs> mash up, everything right. done, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I mean, you know, that's tongue in cheek, but. No, I understand what you mean. I think she's totally right. So after that, I could remember going by my dad's, my dad only had one uncle. And they used to call my dad Bull. So they used to call me Bully, right? Because I'm from that breed. If you've ever been in the Caribbean, there's a certain breed of male that has a certain nickname. Okay. You know them, right? And that's how my dad was. So I would be there in the porch, and I had to be two. I think I was maybe two and a half. And he taught me how to headbutt his hand because he was really old. And he would be teaching me to headbutt and correcting and laughing. He no. never said a negative word. I want to get a couple of terms. So stick licking, headbutting. Can you just break those down? Stick licking is the anglicized version of kalinda. There's a term used all throughout the Caribbean, which is bula. The main drum in the Congo practices, be it kumana, be it son, danson, bomba, and I'm speaking with confidence here. Mm-hmm. It's always called some variation of bula, B-U-L-L-E-R, or B-U-L-A-H, or some variation of bull. Right. Right? I was speaking to some Bantu practitioners in Africa. It means to lick with fire. Mm. To be kissed, fire kissed. It's what happens around a fireside. So when you hear bambula, clean, kambule, kambula, tambulala, I could go through all the islands. Yes. And start calling the names that we all know, but we don't really know what they mean. mean. And so bula is to lick, to be licked by the stick. But not like the anglicized version of lick, which is tongue. It's to be kissed by the primordial energy. right? And if you understand anything about how Bantu see the world, the world is energetic. So all the terminologies connect to the movement and flow of energy. You know, the fancy term would be entu. But in the Caribbean, we use another word to describe the process now. We use the word wanga. Wanga, W-A-N-G-A. It runs right through the region. And again, it's one of those words that lies under OBA. So the general word is OBA, which is the magical spiritual practices of the African diaspora. Any right. traditional practice. There's a generic term, and all the laws in the Caribbean were anti-OBA laws. So in Trinidad, up to the 1990s, we had anti-Obia legislation still in place. So the practice of African traditional spirituality, the Kalinda drumming was finally released from this legislation in the year 2000. But to this day, when 2020, if I organize a stick fighting guile, I still have to write the commission of police. Benji, I want to go back to your father teaching you headbutting, practicing it with you. You were saying it was loving, never a harsh word. That's like an oxymoron. I've never received any type of prescriptive advice or anything that's pejorative. No negative corrections. 
no shouting from any of the calendar teachers. My father's uncle never said no. When you do that right, he would hug me or he'd laugh. And when I do it wrong, he would just bump me a little harder or fix me and then do it again. And then he would just light up every time I did it right. That's some different kind of love that people don't understand in our community around the world with the African ancestry. There's a level of love, yet they're preparing you for warfare. Kalinda is love. For us, the practitioners of it, it's just an expression of love. When I get into the definition of what Kalinda really is, then it'll crescendo. The method, the pedagogy is what really shocked me. I was 16 years old in Hillview College, and I got in that fight. And two guys grabbed me, and I just put them, bang, bang. Fight was done. Yeah, Yeah, we're here. You never put with the front. In the Caribbean, we were famous for the big knuckle. In Louisiana and environs, they used to call this knocking. In continental Africa, it's called kandeka. In Ethiopia, it's called testa, right? The use of the skull as a weapon to de-escalate combat. Very, very African. Even in Capoeira, Angola, headbutt is considered to be one of the highest expressions because I am using that which is sacred to connect and impart to you what you need to know to diminish this moment. In all African strategic games, the loser is never left with nothing. So there's the famous game of worry. You lose worry when you have one seed. So I asked the elder why. Because you can plant that seed, get more seeds, and come back. Why, when I fight you, I want you to come back? He said, because if you don't come back, I don't grow. And so there's this ethos of what I call a village pedagogy. So you're actually handed from teacher to teacher. Not formally. They're never saying that they're teaching you. But my mother, at some point, carried me by my uncle. And if you know a lot about matrifocal life, the female patriarch in the family's brother is the male figure in the life of the boy, not the blood father. In Africa, they call it the mother father. It's the grandmother's brothers who I went to first. If there's no grandmother's brother, then it's the mother's brother. Right. The father and the father's brothers aren't necessarily your direct path. And I understand it, and it makes so much sense, but it means what we thought were broken family structures weren't broken family structures. They were all matrifocal family structures that the Europeans couldn't contend with because you always have the grandmother, which is the queen mother. You always have the old aunt who never married. There's always one. Yeah. And she's the aunt who's put you through school. She's buying clothes for you. She's yeah. your second mother. Then there's your mother. And then there's your uncle. That's a unit in a matrifocal community, right? And so the biological father has a role, was very critical in my life. Uh He didn't teach me to fight. He taught me to play sport. Because then after I could butt and I could kick, then they put me into sports or ring games. So that's the second phase of learning. And all our ring games were constructed to teach skills. There was the ring game of the clapping of the sticks together where you have to kind of have foot agility, right. which in America turned into double dutch. Yes, yes, yes. The ring game. There's a brown girl in the ring. There's African jacks. There's what you would call scooch if you ever grew up around these parts. 
they would form a big ball of kids, take a hard rock or a hard ball, and try to hit each other with it. When you look at Marine Warner's Lewis's research, the tying of young children to trees and stoning them was to develop agility and skill. When you look at the early West Indian cricketers, they came up playing those ring games. Right. So there's all these skills that were built into the structure of our informal schooling. Every Sunday evening, they would gather all the kids together and the old men would sing the laugh ways. And they would let the children play, supervised but uninhibited. Adults didn't show them the games. The adults would play with the children once and then back off. Because our pedagogy also requires explorative, embodied development that is in line with your internal connection. So the first lesson I got in Kalinda was never copy a next man dance. If anybody trying to teach you their dance, they hate you. They don't love you. Bring out your dance. So Kalinda, what is it? Because now we're talking about talking headbutting, stick licking. We're talking dancing now. We're talking grannies. What is Kalinda? We look at the word, what it means, yes. what it yes. could mean, because it, it is unclear to me or what it meant and what it means now. And one of these things in Bo Academy we're very clear on is we are not attempting in any way to reproduce what happened on the continent. What happened in the new world is new. We respect the continental information, but we trust that our ancestors made the necessary adjustments and adaptations that are valuable and that must be held on to so we could pass it back to the continent. So we're very firm in our belief that though Kalenda came from the continent, it is its own thing too. And we must respect that and understand that the ancestors who came here knew what they were doing. So it could mean he, she going, Akali, da, right? Which is Bantu, or them going together, or the family traveling. Yenda could mean to oppose. So it could be the way of opposition. There's also another definition, which is drumming to oppose, or the way of the drum. Among the elders who taught me, it was considered to be a collection of battle hymns, a collection of rituals that were designed for very unique purposes. The Kalinda suite of arts is what you would call the wake dances. Bongo and Limbo are considered Kalinda. The romantic dances, even in Martinique, you still have Belle de Kalinda. So it's also a romantic set of dances. It is expressive, explosive dancing, which I think the equivalent would be juba or pique. Okay. If you look at the chica dancers in Cuba, they say that chica came from Kalinda as well as son and dancer. I didn't say it. I'm not a historian, right? When you look at bomba, which is the ritualized ring dancers, they say, not Benji, that bomba came from Kalinda. So what we have is, in my humble estimation, an operating system, a thought system, a physiological cosmology, which is naming ritual, initiation, combat, romance, sexuality, wake, passing over, crossing over, and what we would call in Trinidad, high science, or accessing ancestral. 
That's a lot. Let's just share with people that you are working on your post-grad, right? So it's a lot of ring dances around, whether it's bomba, whatever it is. And you even went back to songs we were given in the Caribbean, like Brown Girl in the Ring. Does that have any connection to Kalinda? Not any connection. It is Kalinda. Brown Girl in the Ring. It's what's called a cariso. There were two types of songs sung in the Gael. Gael is just a ring, but in Trinidad, Creole English, it's a francophone version of a Spanish word called Gaeria. A Gaeria was a cockfighting pit. Then the French came to Trinidad, the Haitians, basically, pre-Haitian yeah. Revolution, Haitian, 1790s, 1780s. They came and tried to pronounce Gaeria, and it came out as Gael. Okay. And then we anglicized it to Gael, which is the same. The synonym for Gael is the ring for Bambula. So in Trinidad and all the territories, you would see these two words happening next to each other. Bambula and Kalenda was the same word. Bambula was when it was the dancers. Mm-hmm. Kalenda was when it had any kind of conflict. We need to understand something about Bantu space. We'll use America because it'd be helpful to connect Right. There's a game in America called the Dozens. It's an old game that men would practice in squares where they would fight with words. They would go back and forth, right? It's now called, I think, in modern America, a cipher, right? In the dancehall world, it would be a song clash. In that, it would be called extempo. Uh Same exact structure, same meter, where we would have conflict and cooperation that is constructive happening in a circle to build community and manage social dynamics. Okay. Now, you had it with your voice, which is the verbal battle. You had it with songs, Uh singing battle. You had it physically with dance-offs. Right, right. Then you would have it with either empty hand in Martinique and some islands as well as Brazil. They didn't have the stick. In some islands, they had the cutlass, Haiti, Cuba, Mani, etc. In our island, we had the cutlass and the stick. Mm. Some islands have the whip. So those are the four main physical conflicts. But we have to understand it's in a wider context. So you would have a dance off with Juba. Juba is fighting energetically. Mm. Energy driving energy. Continue rising. Well, remember that the symbol in Trinidad for stick men is something called river cane. The river cane is a spiraling plant. Mm-hmm. And anywhere in Trinidad where you find a huge grove of river cane near a hill, those hills are tended to be called Congo hills, right? And on top of those hills, I have personally found thunderstone crops. So they would have these heaps of thunderstones. Wow. You would know that would be the native sacred stone of this region. So now we get into what Kalinda is. For me, Kalinda is a sacred ritual of passing on traditional information in a family structure. There's a very famous thing in Brazil called a quilombo, mm-hmm. which spoke to what the Bantu peoples did when they realized the European incursion was growing. Right. They formed something called um, Imbangelas. I can't pronounce it well, but these groups of fraternal warrior communities. Mm-hmm. One example is the one led by Queen Nzenga. Right. This tendency came to the new world 
where these groups would form the fraternal orders with initiation, sacred blood initiation, and they would pass on healing herbs and plants. Because mm -hmm. that's what I was taught. I was taught to rub, to pull, to heal. These are all the old technologies of massaging both babies, women, adults, putting people's womb back in place. That was done by the Kalinda people. The ability to survive in space. I would be walking through the forest and they would be showing me, this is our water vine. This is this plant. This is that plant. When we were looking for sticks, right. you would be taught how to operate in space, taught strategic thinking, taught leadership in a village. When you've initiated into Kalinda, you became the police officer, the person who manages dispute, a person of great honor, a person who determined Trinidad would be a person of stalwart character. And that was the primary objective of being a practitioner of Kalinda, to eventually evolve into a stalwart. Huh, okay. There's also the use of poisons and all of those plants. You probably noticed that Trinidad was famous for poisoning any enslaver who was overdoing it, who was huh. being too aggressive. You know, so there's the famous story of the guy in Dego Martin called Begora, who had this witch hunt to try and find all the Africans who knew from the Lakus and the Convois, knew the art of poisoning. Guess how he died? They poisoned that, <laughs> right? So all of these traditional skills, as well as the ability to manipulate metaphysical energy. If I tell people I play stick, people of certain beliefs literally pull back. Let me give you a real visceral example. When my neighbor found out that I play stick, they built an eight-foot wall between my house and their house. Today, in Trinidad and Tobago, Kalinda, by the general population, seems like it's somewhat feared, although a chant... No boy man, no afraid, right? No man, no afraid. Please. No boy man, no afraid, no boy man. No boy man, no afraid, no boy man. No boy man, no afraid, no demon. Boy, okay, okay. So if the boy man is not even afraid of demon, the man not afraid of anyone. And are there boy women? That's been the biggest driver of this last phase in our research, we realized that there was an imbalance developed in our community where the women disappeared from the accounts. I know female stick fighters, but I've never found written anywhere in any substantial way the role women played. Now, what we have to remember, the Haitian Revolution, one third of the combatants were women. In the Trinidad Cambole riot, it was organized by women. So it never added up to me. And then I had my mother and my grandmother and those kind of women. Those women don't play. So I started doing a lot of research. And then what they did, this is really weird. They decided that the stick fighting women were jamets. The word jamet in Trinidad now, in its modern use, means woman of loose character or prostitute. The propaganda of how they manipulated it was that these women were all prostitutes and they weren't fighters, they weren't warriors. Yet, if I look at the accounts, the first chant wells in the Caribbean were women. They were called Caruso singers. And the lavois they sung were called Carusos. And the Carusos became Calypsos. And I found accounts by like some of the best researchers, J.D. Elder, Andrew Pierce, all speaking of in between the calendar fights, there would be women in the ring singing Caruso's and women carrying. Yeah, then they were stick fighting women too. Mm -hmm. But they created this separation and then they called them matador women. 
Yeah, so the matador dance is a skirt or scarf dance. Right. It's a stick fighting dance. They're just using the shawl that they had on their waist and they would dance with it. So you right. see it all through the region, this use of the scarf to signify the stick. So there was this weird thing where they kind of just rode the women out. But if you listen to the love ways, there's several love ways about women. Love ways. Lavoie means the voice. Right. It is the call and response music structured what we now consider to be Caribbean music. Lavoies existed in Louisiana. Yes. And existed all the way to Brazil. Right. Remember that Congo Square in Louisiana is reported to have had Kalinda dances where the men would have sticks in their hands and a bottle on their head. Yeah. To demonstrate their level of skill and balance that they could fight and the bottle would never fall. We have to understand the level of biomechanical efficiency, grace, centeredness, to be able to have full contact, full speed combat with a bottle on your head and the bottle never falls and you're trying to knock over the other person's bottle. Right? And this was Louisiana. This was the home of what later became jazz. So I'm even confident to say that both hip-hop and jazz have clear roots in Kalinda. Kumana music made dancehall, dancehall made hip-hop. Kumana music is Congo music. The same tubular drums, transverse drumming, same songs, call and response. And it's the same thing that happened in Louisiana and that environs because of the migration of these Haitian immigrants, French-speaking enslaved Caribbean moving into the southern part of the United States. Oh. The same structure I'm discussing. Circle. Romantic dances, war dances, dances of celebration all happened. And there was three names that these collectives had. They were either called Tambus, especially in Jamaica, Curacao, Borneo, mm -hmm. Bambula in the Spanish-speaking, and Kalinda in the French-speaking. Right. And if you look at our research in Trinidad in the newspapers, they use them as a synonym. In one article, they're using Bambula, and then the next article, they're using Kalinda, and they mean the same thing. So Kalinda is a collection of ritualized practices, psychotechnology, designed to create a person who is stalwart. That's fundamentally what we do. Ritual, spiritual, psychic. So earlier you talked about how Kalinda is not the historical practice exactly as it was, because we trust the ancestors had to adapt, but all of its roots are in the Bite of Biafra and <laughs> Central Africa Bantu peoples. And I don't like the word Bantu. I know I need to educate myself better to use a term that speaks to our ancestry in a way that is more rooted. The problem I have is that the size of what's called the Bantu expansion is so massive. Baba Fukia used to talk about it. It's from the Mandinkans. The Senegambians, all the way to the Zulus, all the way to the next eastern coast, to the western. The only other place I've heard the word Kalinda used in terms of songs is like in Kenya or somewhere. And it's a Bantu word. It's a type of music in that part of the world. And so the Rwandans, the root of Nubian thought is Bantu thought. And when you look at Bantu philosophy and you look at the philosophy of Kemet, there's no way you can't see the progression and connection, right? When you look at Ibu practices and practices in Togo and Benin, 
even some of that matrifocal energy among the Akan who are bordering Bantu lands. There has to be this shared culture. That was one of my main problems. They were telling us that different tribes came and they couldn't talk to each other. Mm-hmm. So let's look at 1818, Trinidad and Tobago. Uh-huh. The Ewe people, who are known as, I believe, Ifit, Cameroonians, largest numbers, Ibu, which is Niger-Congo people, right. Angolans, and Congo, Dahomey or Rara people. Those are the main tribes here. All of those tribes are either Niger-Congo or Bantu-speaking tribes. That's right. And they've been trading with each other for thousands of years. So I immediately realized this story that they're feeding me not making sense. These people got to talk to each other and they knew what each other were. They were living next to each other for as long as they could remember each other. They traded. It wasn't making sense. But when I understood that the large majority of the people who came to the Caribbean in the first 250 years were of this genetic makeup, then I understood why from all the way from America to Brazil, has this very Congo underbelly. Yes, there's layers of other tribal areas that have expressed themselves clearly. We look at the Vodun in Haiti, and that's the Dahomey people. But even when you look at Dahomey practices, you can't look at them in isolation from what was right next to them. For example, when you look at the Veve, the ground drawings of the Dahomey people, other people who have similar ground drawings were the Bantu people, which is in the Patembas that you find in the Palo practices, right? <laughs> the name for the Ifa houses in Brazil, one of them is Candomblé. But that's a Bantu term that came from Kisomblé, Black House of Initiation. <laughs> so we have to recognize that there probably was this overarching Bantu structure in place, and then other groups came in after. They came in late because of the wars that happened close to the end in the 1800s. So their retention of the overarching details would be high, but their ability to permeate the soul of the space would have been diminished because the whole space resting on top of this underbelly of these ring games, these tubular drums, these very Congo cadences and the drumming patterns. It's huge, the area which this covers. When you think about it in terms of geography, from Bahia to Atlanta has all of this underbelly. You know, when you look at the Juba, everybody knows where the Juba is from. When you look at American knocking and kicking and a lot of the slap boxing games, it looks like Kandeka. The use of the headbutt in street life. Africans were famous in the 18 and 1900s for terminating fights with the big old knuckles. Right, exactly. So now we're tying back to why these forms and their very clear structure then now was able to allow us to start tracing and connecting. Once I got onto Bantu speakers, I started throwing the words that we use here still. And every word was a word that knew. From Lunga Dunga, original name for the limbo dance that everybody loves, even though now it's being done in the reverse order. The limbo dance was done with the stick escalating and the person rising. If you kind of are familiar with Bantu cosmology and knowing that it was a wake dance and knowing that it was a dance of inversion and rising again in the circle of life, Mm. it made all the sense in the world why they would do it as an ascending dance. You're coming out of midnight 
and starting to head towards dawn. And so the bongo, they know what the word means. The name of the drums, kuta, fula, bula, bambula. Like I started going, the word moko, moyo, funky, which is funky. Those are all Bantu words. So funk comes from it. Yes, yes. The mojo comes from it. Then I started coming into the symbology of the cross in the new world. Well, we know that the Congo's royal symbol was a cross prior to Christianity. Right. It's all throughout Southern America. You'll find trees like Golagichi people. There'll be crosses on every little thing, crosses on turtle shells, crosses everywhere. And that's probably why there was an affinity for the Bantu to engage in Christianity in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Because their symbolism of water, right. their symbolism of the cross. I mean, in many ways, Christianity is a ritual of, of very close to sun worship in many ways. There's many schools of thought, he rose and then he resurrected and he came again and then very cosmological. Which is, right? which is very African cosmology. And you've been using words like obia, you've been talking spirit, you've alluded to voodoo, you've talked about the migration. Our scholar, Baba Fukia, he was like, look, we can't start anywhere until we break down the origin of civilization. And that's what we are teaching the children. Them. And he started from yes. the center. Exactly what you're talking about with the Congo people, Kikongo, right? The Bantu. I want to have an understanding of the spiritual purpose of Kalinda. Why Kalinda even happened in Congo. There's a very famous saying in the Caribbean, which is, as is above, so is below. As is above, so is below. The micro refers to the macro. That circular space is a representation of the universe itself. And as one travels around the space, one is enacting the cosmic forces of birth, of coming into fullness, of dying, we don't die, we don't believe in death, but in transitioning and in accessing at the ancestral plane. Our circular spaces are portals where time and space disconnect and the future, the past and the present all are available to us. What is the purpose in Trinidad? In Trinidad, all circular spaces are built on crossroads. So when you hear of the famous American rock guitarist going to a crossroad to sell his soul, we don't believe he went to sell his soul. He went to access ancestral information. To access ancestral information, you must lift the levels of energy or N2, sacred energy, primordial energy. One of the best ways to, without getting into too many details, access Deep spiritual energy is through a combination of conflict and cooperation. There's a term used among the Kikongo speakers called Enkisi. Yes. And Enkisi is a little doll with a big heart shape, and you imbue it with a packet or bundle of many things. The stick fighter's uniform in Trinidad is a big heart shape, with the gungas on the ankles and mirrors on the chest. Gungas. Bells. A stick fighter is a living Nkisi. 
he who has chosen to carry the primordial energy of his community in a way that even his literal blood sacrifice, because the ident calendars to create cuts so that they can bleed into a hole. And the shared blood acts like this massive generator of N2 to create a space, a communal space of shared liminal access. Because we don't have an audience, a fourth wall in Kalinda. The Shantwell calls to the crowd, and the crowd is creating this metaphysical amphitheater of music that is the construct of the Gael. So everybody is in the Gael together. The drummers, the singers, the people who answer, and the stick fighters. The stick fighters are the sacred part of the ritual that allows the energy, desires, and wishes of the community to take form. If you know about Enkisis, I recommend you all know the artwork is beautiful. You'll see that they have little nails in them. They pound a nail into the Enkisi when they ask and when they've received. In the Caribbean, you'll see two types of Enkisi that were difficult for the Europeans to manipulate because we couldn't have physical Enkisis because they would hang us for it. Our fighters became our Enkisi, the village champions or the sacred trees. Again, in every village in the Caribbean, you're going to find a tree that's full of nails. There's not one person who's ever been to the Caribbean or down South America where you go and there are nails in the tree. Please, let's demystify that as much as permissible. We'll give an example of our island, Anguilla. There was a tree that had special leaves. It's a known healing tree. Right. And they would go to the tree to get the leaves to tend to children who were sick with dengue. And if the child lived, they would go back and pong a nail into the tree. A memorial to the life force that the tree gave. Let's use a lazy English term. Stick a pin. You're sticking a pin. You're making a physical demonstration using iron, steel, which is another sacred African process. Right. We was making steel long, long before everybody else. What steel meant to us isn't what steel means to a lot of other people. Steel is magic. Yeah. You know, Ogun, steel is magic. Magic for us is technology that we don't yet understand. So is that why people, like your neighbor, building... The eight-foot wall. Why? Because of who I am. Everybody knows I'm a stick man automatically means I'm an Obia man. And there's fear in that. The Kalinda is the Bois man, the Bois woman. Those are the entities that have been the repository for the continuance of our tradition, which has been called Obia. And throughout the Caribbean, and I can tell you about Jamaica, Trinidad is a little different from Jamaica, right? Here, you know, it's like really bad. And it's the only other place I've found where they use the same words we use. Jamaica. They use Wanga still. Wanga, they know that word. There was so much magic in this discussion that we had to divide the podcast into two episodes. Rondell Benjamin. I am the multiverse of self. Benjamin. I am universe. I am all things. I am what was, what will be, and what is now. I have access to every 
bit of information. Every one of my ancestors ever sent for me. A stick fight to this day. day, day, day. Part two. Cultivating with Quayera. Kalinda.